Hungarians, but Hungarians are the screamingest people. The most, uh, they're, they're completely involved with screaming at one another, and I would go to, to Nima's house, and of course, you see, I lived in various houses. When you're a kid, you don't really live in your own house, you know. You live in bare question, the mores at the house. Uh, you, you live in this, you're part of this thing. When you're a small enough kid, you see, up to a certain point, you don't do this. But after this point, you begin to accept one thing and divide it and put it into the compartments. Well, at one point, I'm living in Nima's house. Like two afternoons a week, I'm completely a hunky. Uh, in the middle of the week, I would be a Pollock. I'm over at Pol because that's all they did, and they ate cabbage and played pinochle all the time at the Pollock's house. Well, then about, oh, I'd say about four nights out of every ten, I am a Swede. And I'm, I'm in the kitchen with this lady who was a Laplander. And she would glower behind that stove and just look. Have you ever seen a Laplander? Do you know what they do in Lapland? Do you know that they hunt wolves with eagles? Oh, boy, picture that on the Grand Concourse when you talk about reality. And it develops a certain kind of person, and they're always up to their everything in snow. And they just stand and look. It, 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 uh, Lapland is literally the, it, it's really the real-life version of Loris Labobia. Oh, yes, yeah, so, you know, Al Cap's land where it's always snowing and people are always trying to get away. Well, I'm living for about four days a week in this Lapland's house, this Laplander. And this woman would just stand back at the stove, and you would see those blue eyes and that white face and that dark hair. And you could just hear her once in a while. She moans quietly and looks. Well, I accepted that. That's the way people are in this house. And the old man, who was a Swede, a real Swede because he drank like a fish, he would come reeling up and falling and yelling and screaming in Swedish up the back porch and fall into the door, and she would give him a great big, great big slice of anise bread. They had a thing, yes, in, in Sweden they believe if you eat enough anise bread that, that alcohol doesn't affect you. It's the anise that counteracts it. And he's downing the anise bread and drinking glug at the same time and yelling out in Sweden and telling me in Swedish, Ah, your kids are not like they used to be. Well, of course, that's true. Literally. Well, the next day, I'm in Nima's house. You want to hear about the, the Hungarians? Well, let me tell you about the Hungarians. I am always in the basement. Certain nationalities live most of their lives in the basement of their houses. Among them, Hungarians. Now, I'm in the basement with Geza Nima. Gazer and Stefan Neiman. And I'm in the basement, and here's what you'd hear upstairs all the time. You'd hear, And there'd be a long pause, and Neiman would look up from whatever he's making, his model airplane, and he would holler, And there'd be another pause, and then you'd hear coming downstairs. And I'm sitting there ducking down lower and lower, because this is always what happens. And the old lady grabs Neiman and throws him behind the furnace. Hits Stephen on the head with a mop and lays around for the next kids. Or, or us, you see. They were diving because she had like nine, 19 of them. And she couldn't tell them apart anymore. And we were just, can you imagine visiting the mother of one of your friends and she rips your shirt right off your back, belts you with a wet mop on the back of the head, and kicks you? This happened to me one afternoon at the name, and I didn't question it. I'm going to tell you, I didn't question it. And I went home, my shirt is torn off, and, and, you know, it's torn right off. She just grabbed me when I was going under a fence, ripped my shirt off, and I get home, and my, my mother says, what's the matter with the shirt? I said, Mrs. Nemeth tore it off, and she hit me, my mother, because she recognized that Mrs. Nemeth had only started what she should finish. And it was, it was a peculiar situation like this. Well, now, when you're living in various 
segmented societies of this kind, you begin to have an attitude or an appreciation of the segments themselves. Now, I don't believe for a minute that anybody living here in New York City, for that matter, has any real understanding of what... <laughs> of, of, a genuine understanding, and certainly Thornton Wilder doesn't, I'm sorry. A real understanding of what it's like to stand in the main street in Marcellus, Michigan, with the wind blowing cool off the lake. And nothing more exciting has happened in the last year and a half in Marcellus than the thing with the girl there at that time in the school and the gym that they're all talking about, and the three chickens that got run over last year by the Dodge. Well, now, <laughs> I want to tell you about the one great moment of true juvenile delinquency and how it's changed now, you know. There was this family named Bogosh who lived two or three doors away. Now, this was one of those temporary families that move in and then they stay for a while, yell and scream and break a few windows and move out. You know, that kind of family in the neighborhood. Well, Bogash moved in. There were about five Bogashes, including a, a daughter named Irene Bogash. Well, Irene was roughly, I would say now, looking at it, I would say she was probably 15. Although at that time, being at, at that moment, I was about eight, 50, she was a grown-up girl. You see, she was really about 15, I think, Irene Bogash. And she was dark, very dark hair and white skin, and even to my untutored eye, a swinger, a lovely girl. Well, Irene Bogash would sit on the porch once in a while and look out while all of us are out in front of the house playing, playing ball and stuff. And, and there were two or three other Bogashes involved were playing ball and having a big thing, one thing or another. Well, then one day, I'm home from school, and my mother and my father and a couple of people are in the kitchen talking about what happened to Irene Bogash. <laughs> and and they're, they're talking away there, and I'm, I'm a kid. I'm trying to figure out what it is, and I'm trying to hear. And, and it turns out that they picked Irene Bogash up in the candy store. I couldn't tell you. Know, picked Irene Bogash. We all went in the candy store from time to time, you know? But the way they said it, they picked her up in the candy store. It was a different kind of picking up in the candy store than we had ever had. Irene Bogash was picked up in the candy store. And I said, where, where, where's Irene? And my mother says, she is not coming back for a while. Not coming back for a while. What happened to Irene Bogash? And then the dreaded word was out. Irene Bogash was sent to a mythical place, which was always hanging over all of us in a peculiar, untouchable way, the reform school. Did they have a reform school when you were... Did you ever hear of the term reform school? Well, reform school. And Irene Bogash had been sitting on the porch all the time. She wasn't a window breaker or a yeller. She was sitting on the porch. Well, about 20 minutes later, about nine of us kids are back in the garage, and the word is out among all the kids, that Irene Bogash is at the reform school. They took her to the reform school. That is like if in your particular, if you go to church, if the word gets out that one of the guys from the congregation has just been taken to hell. You know, <laughs> but yeah, what happened to Charlie? He's in the moment, you know, they came and got him. He's in hell now. Well, you know, that would really rock everybody. Everybody would, you know, it really exists. Hell is really a place. Yes, Charlie, they came and got him. A guy with a red suit and horns came and got him the other day, dragged him out, kicking and screaming at a pitchfork. Should have seen him. Marched him down the street, threw him in this black wagon, and it said, Hell, huh? He's in hell now. Well, I'll tell you, the sermons would sound different then, from that minute on. Well, Irene Bogash was in reform school, and none of us could figure out why, because we always thought in terms of kids that, 
you know, broke, stole things, kids that would steal a car or kids that would fist fight. We could not understand why Irene Bogash was in reform school. Until three days later, I am in school. And these are, it's difficult to tell when you were actually inoculated with education, when you learned something. We are out at recess, and one kid whom I knew came up to me and says, Hey, did you hear about Irene Bogash? She lives in your neighborhood, doesn't she? I says, Yeah. Did you hear what she was doing? I said, Well, no. What, 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 what? Of course, a kid, you know, and immediately there's that sick feeling that you're going to hear something you shouldn't hear, and you can't stop from hearing it. I said, What? being a totally untutored kid. I said, no kidding. <laughs> For crying out loud. No kidding. Really? Oh, boy. Well, we. Well, you know, I always figured it. Well, you know, whoa. I didn't have the slightest idea what he was talking about. And I suspect he didn't either because we were both in the same grade. But he had heard some older kids talking about this, what she was doing at the candy store. Well, I'm laughing about it. Oh, no kidding. Wow. That afternoon, I am home. I am sitting at the table, and not realizing the enormity of what I was about to say, I said, Hey, Ma, did you hear what Irene Bogash was doing? She turns from the stove and says, What? What, 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 what are you talking about? And she knew very well what Irene Bogash... In fact, everybody in the neighborhood knew, but, what, you know, eight-year-old kid. I said, Well, buzz, 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 buzz. Isn't that funny, Ma? There is a long, fantastically pregnant moment. Where did you hear that? I said, Jackie Melton told me. Who's Jackie Melton? I said, well, he's a kid in school. Right away, I knew I said it. I said, it's just been completely, insanely, wildly rotten. <laughs> you know, whatever Irene Bogash was doing, I shouldn't know anything about. And furthermore, I shouldn't laugh about it that knowing way, which I have. You know, I'm a Well, you know, it was a funny bit. Apparently, she told my father about this. And that night, the old man is sitting there at dinner table. And he says to me, say, uh, did you know Irene Bogash very well? I knew this was a loaded question because the old man never asked me anything about the neighborhood unless it was loaded and had grapes hanging all over it. And he says, did you know Irene Bogash? No! which was the truth, absolute truth. He says, don't lie to me. I said, what do you mean? He said, why don't you and I go into the sun parlor after supper and talk about Irene Bogash, huh? You can tell me. I've been around. <laughs> I've been around. <laughs> so about an hour later, I'm sick. I can't eat the red cabbage. I mean, geez, you know, what am I going to say? And we're sitting in there on, on the day bed, and my father says to me, all right now. He closes the door. He says, look, your mother isn't going to know. I'm not going to say anything to your mother. She's not going to know. And I'm not going to tell Randy. This is just between us men. Now, remember, I've been around, and I've been a lot of places, and I'm not mad. Now tell me where and when and how. Where, when, and how. 
I said, well, what, 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 what? He says, no, come on, come on. Now, don't get excited. Don't, don't get all hung up. Just take it easy now. Just take it easy. Just take it easy. It will never be mentioned again. Tell me about Irene Bogash. Well, oh, Jimmy, Jackie Melvin, Now, come on. Now, don't lie on top of it. Just come across. He said, where, when, and how? Just tell me. And that's all. That's all I want to know. I want you to just tell me about it. Just tell me. You don't even have to even go into detail. Just tell me where, when, and how. I didn't know what to do. Completely thrown. And I knew that I had to say something, and he was not, absolutely not believing anything I said. So I'm sitting there, and I said, in the garage. Oh. Okay. Whose garage? Somehow it seemed terrible if I said our garage. I don't know why. I just said Bruner's garage. Because Bruner's garage was always open because Bruner once knocked the doors off on a Saturday night and you couldn't close them. So I said, Bruner's garage. He says, okay, when? Saturday. Saturday. When was it? What Saturday? Last, last Saturday. Okay, last Saturday. All right. Now, I'm not going to say anything about this. I'm not going to tell your mother. But I'm very glad you told me the truth. Yes. I'm very glad. And from now on, whenever you get into any kind of trouble like that, please come to me, will you? And please tell me the truth. Just come out right with it and just lay it on the line. And with that, the old man gets up, walks out of the front room, out of the front sun parlor, opens the door, goes into the kitchen, picks up his newspaper, and starts reading about what the White Sox done. And I walk into the living room, I don't know what the devil has happened. All I know is that I did the right thing by saying the garage on Saturday. And ever since that time, I've been just, every time I'm trapped, I holler Saturday in the garage. And everybody believes me, you know? And it's made everything work out much better. Now, I don't know what Irene Bogash was doing, even to this day, but it happened in the garage on Saturday. If anybody wants to check on a story, Broner's Garage has still got no door. And it all worked out. Very good. And let that be a lesson to all you kids. <laughs> the nature of reality is slippery. Very. Speaking of reality, we have with us tonight the limelight. And uh, if you haven't uh, gone down there and made the scene, I would suggest you do so. It's, uh, it's you know, it's a big place, and there's a lot of people sitting around. It was a very strange thing happened the other night. I'm sitting in the limelight, and a guy walks up to me who was, who was a listener type, and he had a funny look on his face. And he was an atomic physicist, believe it or not. 
He didn't say anything to me until later about it. And he says, I heard about it on the show. I said, what about it? He says, I don't think my wife would like it. <laughs> he looked around. He says, but I dig. And he was just sitting there. But it's a place. There's good food, and there's a good place to sit. And there's a fist fight breaks out occasionally. Guys play banjos. People holler. And there aren't many scenes made in the limelight, which uh, is refreshing for that square. <laughs> you have to explain that to her? Okay. Uh, it's the limelight, and it's at 91 7th Avenue South, right in the heart of Sheridan Square. And uh, I suspect tonight I may go there after midnight. You want to make the scene down there? All right. Tonight after midnight. Any, anybody wants to come in for a fist fight, I'm ready tonight. After midnight, the only time I'm making a scene. Yeah, speaking of scenes, let's see, we have one. We don't have that random ET, do we? Huh? I am very curious about this. The other day, I, I saw Pfeiffer at a place, Jules Pfeiffer, and Pfeiffer says, he says, I hear, I hear Random House is going to put a spot on your show uh, about my book, Hold Me. And I said, yeah, I heard that. He says, they've got an ET. And I says, how the devil do they sell a book, Pfeiffer, with an electrical transcription like they sell, you know, Mr. Clean? Uh, and he says, I don't know. He said, they made this ET. I have not heard it. Let us listen to an ET selling a Pfeiffer book. What is it? What is what? That. A book. How can it be a book? It's full of cartoons. It's a book by Pfeiffer. Oh, Who? Right a cartoonist, Pfeiffer. How oh, a comic book. It's not a comic book. Pfeiffer, why don't you go after these guys with flame Comic, comic books are in color and cost a dime. This oh. is in black and white and costs a dollar ninety-five. Oh, it must be an adult comic. Oh, come on, chill it off for crying out loud, please. Oh, yeah, hey. Hold Me Comics. Oh, that's comic. terrible. It's just called Hold Me. Oh, Is come on. From there? I mean, is Mary Worth from there, too? Steve Canyon? Oh, Peter please. Gale. Come on. Hey, oh, this no. is getting... Right. Only it's up to my knickers. Come on. Oh, it's really quite funny. Help. Uh, satirical. Satirical. Oh, stop it. Hey, hey, hey come on, hey. President Kennedy. Oh, sure. Another Kennedy takeover. And there's something marvelous here on the telephone company. And a hey, 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 help, help. Oh, sure, sure. Social I'm drowning, Piper. Yeah. No, honestly, it's very, uh, very... Uh, here, take it. It's called Hold Me. Oh, I don't want it. You take it. No, I mean it. You take Help. it. You take it. I don't want it. You take Help. it. You take it. You take it. Oh, boy. We heard, didn't we? Well, that's uh, Hold Me. <laughs> that's your favorite, whatever it is, where they sell these books. Random House. Let's see. Uh, funny vet. That's the first time I... How would... Can you imagine uh, a one-minute spot selling The Naked and the Dead? You know, uh, yeah, a one-minute spot uh, pushing Forever Amber, or a one-minute spot pushing, let's say, uh, Kafka's The Trial. Hey, think about that for a minute. Can you imagine a one-minute spot laying it out about Thomas Mann's Magic Mountain? And, uh, it's, it opens up with Hans Kostor, the estate. And Kastorf is sitting on a, on a park bench high in the Alps, and he's talking to this diabolical doctor, who you suspect is the devil. And Kastorf says, well, you see, I was coming up here, and I was visiting a friend of mine, you know, who had tuberculosis. And I was sitting there with him, and we was talking about how terrible it is to have tuberculosis, when all of a sudden I feel I have inside of me a fever. Then they take the test, and the next thing you know, I'm sitting here, I'm up in his mountain looking down all the time. <laughs> well, let me tell you, you are here for a purpose, far, far more and beyond any purpose to cure any 
small lesions which you have in the lungs. Uh, would you like to talk today about good and evil? Yes, friends, this wonderful book, which explains all those various problems of good and evil, is called The Magic Mountain, written by that wonderful new German author, Thomas Mann. Ask for it at your favorite bookstore. Good and evil, which shall win? Which side do you stand on? These and other fascinating problems are developed. Religion tonight at this hour scares people. And we also have with us, uh, let's see, uh, the Mandarin House. And uh, they're a place where they sell all this Mandarin food. And I would suggest that you look up Mandarin. That is a great word to look up in the dictionary. Uh, <laughs> it has very, very funny connotations, but the food is, is superb. And it's down on 13th Street between 6th and 7th in the village. And they have a little barzy there. And they have the... I, I just have to say this. It is a very embarrassing thing for me to have to admit. But they have the most insanely... I hope Emily Quote is not here this because while Emily is sitting at a table talking to me, I cannot help but allow all this to happen within me. Because you see, after all, I am but merely human. Hence, I am made of the poor common clay that washes away in the springtime. I'm sitting there noticing that not only do they have Mandarin food, they have the most insane, the most insanely, wildly exotic waitresses I have ever seen in my life, right? You can't believe it. And nobody notices it there, which makes it even more spooky. You talk about the bunny clubs. Wow, we... <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of bunny clubs, and I'm not going to go into Pfeiffer and uh, that whole the whole thing here now. Did you? I, I I'm going to have to answer for this one time. You know, it's a funny thing. I I've been watching this growth of uh, so-called uh, gospel music for some time, and the uh, pseudo folk music for some time too. And I can remember... Oh, yeah, let's get the show magazine out of the way, too, okay? All right, Ted. Show magazine, speaking of bunnies, they got this thing about bunnies <laughs> in the show magazine that's now on sale at your newsstand. They also exposed Japan for what a rotten mess it is. That's uh, this week's show. Well, now, uh, do you know that they've got a club here in town? This is for you outlanders who do not know of the strange social mores that are extant in New York. Do you know that there's a club here in town now that specializes in gospel music? A nightclub. It specializes in gospel music, yes, and you know what they call it? You would not... I mean, they call it the new gospel tabernacle called the Sweet Chariot. Now, wait, you haven't heard the rest of it. Now, wait a minute. You haven't heard the rest of it. Now, they, they've got a liquor license, too, you see, and it's dimly lighted, and, of course, it's wildly sensual. People are yelling and screaming and patting their hands and yelling and kicking around and screaming. And all the waitresses, get this now, are dressed in white tunics that have white wings on the back. They are heavenly messengers, and they come bearing Hennessy. And all the way up on the stage, they're belting it Over that old, 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 over that old
Now, now there is 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 something that will probably be documented when the when the future Gibbon arrives on the scene. I'm sure that when when Rome was slowly sinking into the mire, they must have had some version of a nightclub where they had these gigantic orgies, and all the chicks who were involved were dressed like oh Aphrodite. <laughs> there must have been some showing up on the scene dressed like Diana. Others were dressed like. Uh, Probably even if I know anything about Rome, Apollo. Uh, there's a there's a very good possibility that a few of the chicks showed up that way too. However, I think this uh, this extension of the bunny sequence is only logical because the idea of a bunny. You see, a bunny is not a rabbit. You know, it, a bunny does not carry the connotations that rabbits carry. You're aware of that. You're not. You see, because if, if anybody ever referred to one of the girls as one of the rabbit waitresses, that's a very different connotation than bunny. Think about it for a minute. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, you see. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's all part of a, of a very interesting twist that has come about that relates morality to age. If a guy is shown on a screen as a 52-year-old gunman and he guns down a lot of people, he's a rotten gangster. If he's a 21-year-old gunman and he shoots a lot of people down, he's a, he's a wonderful, misunderstood, sensitive uh, victim of society. You see the difference there? You could, not, you could imagine George Rapp as being rotten. Tony Perkins is only sick and confused. <laughs> and yet, all the while, their victims lie there, bleeding. Blood is blood is blood is blood. Is blood is blood. It depends on whose grandmother is shot, I suppose, as to how you view morality. So, is a bunny as bad as a rabbit? Is a bunny a rabbit? Is a waitress who wears a pair of white wings on the back? Is she Lolita? Is Lolita in the same boat, let us say, as... Uh... Oh, it gets... It gets uh... You see, you get into the circle there. It's like the maelstrom. It's, it's the maelstrom. When does a, when does a, a hard-hitting, angry comic become a dirty old man? Interesting problem there. Fascinating. When does <laughs> when does a hip when does when does a hip become a bum? It's an interesting problem. Just a little 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 problem that's all tied up. You know, there's a lot of things that are all tied up together here. You, you, and 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 you you know then, for example, in in almost every American movie, love is never possible between anybody over 25 or at least admittedly over 25, because it involves something other than that great momentary, wonderful, deeply sensitive passion of two souls for each and the other. I suspect that the next great movie about love will, will have as its basis the love of a seven-year-old for a nine-year-old. Oh, yes. Yeah. Totally asexual. Completely antiseptic, but thoroughly passionate and beautiful.
That's all, by the way, all the way in caps. Everything has to be in capital letters here. Yeah. Keep your knees loose, Dad. And be careful. When does greasy kid stuff just get to be grease? This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Direct from Churchill Downs, the 89th running of the famed Kentucky Derby, or Kentucky Derby, as you like it, the long-awaited run for the Roses, Saturday night at 5.15 in the afternoon on WOR Radio. Now, don't miss this thrilling race of the nation's finest three-year-olds. That's Saturday, 5.15 on WOR Radio. Stay tuned now for Long John Neville. He's coming up next over WOR, AM and FM in New York, at exactly midnight. This is Long John once again. We're around from midnight to 5 o'clock, five mornings during the week. And, of course, on weekends, we're around till 5.30, and that means we're on the air for some 36 hours. During that time, I have the pleasure of talking with many interesting people. 